job. Good to see all of you this morning. Welcome to Pathway. I just want to say this. I was able to watch Pastor Ryan's messages the last several weeks, and I don't know if he's in here or not, but I told him yesterday, great job. And he's set this message series up beautifully. And I do want to give another shameless plug. I don't know if you're going to be drawn to be here tonight because of what you hear, so I'll go ahead and get this out of the way first. But don't miss tonight. It doesn't matter where you are on your journey. You might be winning with your finances. You might be far from winning with your finances. We are going to spend two hours, and yes, it's going to be interactive. It's going to be fun. You might have a poignant moment. You might have an aha moment. But wherever you are on your financial journey, show up tonight. Six to eight. We'll get you out of here to get back home to watch the game if you're a fan of any of those teams. There aren't any good games on this afternoon anyways because the Falcons are playing right now. So um, I did read a book when I was in college called How to Win Friends and Influence People. So I'm going to try this on you and see if this works. Go Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> wow, that fell flat. Fantastic. So it's either Ohio State, West Virginia, or Penn State. Is that, are those kind of the three? <laughs> West Virginia, just Ohio. Yeah, right. Hold on, let me, before I start, it's the Ohio State, right? Yeah, right, exactly, whatever, arrogant. So anyway, um, perfect, perfect. And it was targeting, it was targeting, but back to back, that's all it so. I'll stop there, Ryan, because I'm ready to get tomatoes thrown at me. I am excited to share this message with you this morning. How many of you in here today have ever needed just a miracle in your life? Like you've needed, you've been at a place in your life and you may be there now. Man, I need a miracle. Okay, let me just drive a level deeper. How many of you have needed a financial miracle in your life? Okay, so all of you should raise your hand because the true inflation number right now is about 9%. So we all need a financial miracle, right? Amen? Okay, good. Four of you. Fantastic. Fantastic. But we've all been there at one time or another. And what I want to do this morning through a story that we find way back in the Old Testament, in fact, we're going to be at 2 Kings chapter 4. This is a message of encouragement. This is a message of challenge to take a next step. I want this statement, this overarching statement, I want to leave this with you. And if you don't hear anything from me today, except this next statement, then we have won together. And that statement is just three simple words. God honors movement. God honors movement. Sometimes we have to take the step and then God comes in and because of our obedience does what only God can do. So as we read this story this morning, 2 Kings chapter 4 verses 1 through 7, we're going to see this widow go from complete despair to complete provision. And so let's read this together. In fact, I'm just going to read it off of the screen. So 2 Kings chapter 4 starting in verse 1, it says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. So don't, don't change the slide. Let's just stop there. Your servant, my husband, is dead. Okay, we know this is a really bad situation really early in this passage. Okay, so let's just, let's just keep going. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Verse 2. Elisha replied to her, 
How can I help you? Now, do we think Elisha knew what was going to happen? He did. He was the man of God, okay? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said. She has nothing there at all. Except a small jar of olive oil. So did she really have nothing? No, she had a small jar of olive oil. Verse 3. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Verse 4. Then go inside. Once you've done that, go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Verse 5. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, her sons did, and she kept pouring. Verse 6. This is where it gets really, really good. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. And it, the capper right here, verse 7. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Now we're going to unpack this this morning and realize, like I said earlier, God honors movement. Okay, we're just going to have four simple points this morning that are really going to bring clarity to what this passage is communicating to us as we talk about this topic of personal finance. This is a story of a financial miracle. We learn early that debt contributed to this situation. Now, you're not going to hear me say today or tonight that debt is evil. You're not going to hear me say that. Okay? Being a slave to your debt absolutely is. Some people use debt as a tool. I have debt. My wife and I have a mortgage on a house that my family really likes. They like dry. Like they like when it's raining outside that it's not raining inside. At least literally. It could be raining figuratively. I have daughters. Okay? But... <coughs> We know that debt contributed to this situation. The husband entered into a debt situation, had no idea that God was going to take him from this earth prematurely. He did. And he left this widow in a very, very terrible situation. In fact, in those days, the wife of the house didn't have any marketable trade, typically. And so if the husband was taken out of the scene or out of the situation, it left her on a path to abject poverty. Hence, the creditor coming to her and saying, I'm going to take your two sons as slaves if you don't pay off this debt. I think that was the first time ever that sons obeyed their mother. Like, do what you're supposed to do or this is going to happen. So we know that debt contributed to the situation. So that leads to our first point. She found herself in a desperate situation. Don't raise your hands. But how many of you have ever found or currently find yourself in a desperate situation? And we do what this woman did in the face of Elisha, the man of God. We take everything to zero. What do you have in your house? I have nothing. 
except a small jar of olive oil. Do you think that God can use a small jar of olive oil? Do you think that God can use your little if you take a step of obedience and watch God turn that into much? And again, don't hear me saying this morning that if you take a step, God's going to bless you financially. He might. But he might bless you in other ways. My daughter, I have a 26-year-old daughter who is married. Um, she's awesome. He's my son-in-law. <laughs> and if you are a father of a daughter, you understand that they'll never measure up. I've been married 27 years and I still don't measure up. So it's just part of the reality that we as son-in-laws live with. She got married January 16th, uh, almost two years ago. So it's been about a year and a half. And prior to that, uh, I had a doctor's appointment. So it would have been probably October prior to her wedding. I had a doctor's appointment. I went into the doctor's appointment because I got turned down for life insurance. That'll fire you up right now. And I got turned down for life insurance because my blood pressure was way too high and my A1C was over 13. It's supposed to be 5 to 7. I was a walking, ticking time bomb. I walked into my doctor's office and he did all the, the appropriate tests and he said, hey, we're going to do a blood draw. We're going to do a, a kind of a panel of tests. And he said, I want you to come back in a couple of days and we're going to go through this. So we took the blood, we came back, did all the vitals and everything. And he came in and he said, now, your daughter gets married in January. I said, yeah. He goes, do you want to walk her down the aisle? I said, that is the plan. For sure. He said, well, if you want to walk her down the aisle, you need to make some major changes right now. He said, your blood pressure is 190 over 130. Your A1C is 13.7. We have to say you're pre-diabetic. You actually have type 2 diabetes. Your blood pressure, again, is off, out of, out, just through the roof. Your cholesterol is out of control. We're going to put you on five medications today. And if you don't make changes, you literally will not live to January 16th. Hello. That's a wake-up call. I weighed 315 pounds in that appointment. I said, okay, because I'm an action kind of guy. I said, what do I need to do to get off of these medications as quickly as possible? And he said, you need to move. You need to move. He said, you need to move 40 minutes a day, six days a week. Give yourself an off day. And he said, I'm not talking about going and, and on this crash diet and working out like crazy. Just move. So my step, my next step was to move. And he said, your goal is to lose a pound a week. That's 52 pounds in a year and that's sustainable. So I started my journey. When I left my house a couple of days ago, I weighed 232.6 pounds. God honors movement. We take the step and he honors the obedience. He has given me the energy. He has given me the drive. And a lot of that is my family to take those next steps. What was the desperate situation she found herself in? She's in debt. She lost her husband. And the creditor is going to take her sons as slaves. Right? It's time to act. Maybe you're there today. We've got to act. We've got to take a step. Show up tonight. Maybe that's your first step.
But what did she do when she found herself in that desperate situation? She did something that a lot of times we do last. And that's point number two. She sought God. 2 Kings 4, verses 2 through 4. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of olive oil. So what does Elisha say? Oh, that's too bad. God can't use that. That's terrible. You should have done better preparing. I'm going to move on to next. No. Because he knew that God is a more than enough God. And he said, go to your neighbors. Gather vessels. Gather jars. And not too few. Because Elisha knew what was about to happen. So she found herself in a desperate situation. And she sought God through Elisha. And Elisha provided for her the next steps. She diminished everything to zero, but what did she have? She had direct access to the man of God. She had her sons. She had life. She had her neighbors. So she had way more than she thought she had. And because she went and sought God through Elisha, God through Elisha showed her what she had. Let's bring it to today. Man, I'm in this situation. I, I'm, I don't know if I can take the next step. I've taken steps and I'm hanging on to the life preserver. Well, what do we have? Like all of us in this room got out of bed today. Every one of us. We are alive. We have life. We have health. All of us have family and friends. Maybe coworkers. Most of us are educated at some level. We have resources. Did you know that if you or your, you and your spouse combined make $51,000 or more in a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world? We have resources. We have the ability to take that next step. But oftentimes, the last thing we do is get on our knees because the situation has become so desperate and seek God. Instead, that should be number one. But when we seek God and he tells us what to do, what do we do? We go back for a second opinion because we don't like what he told us to do the first time. Oh, God, I don't know. That's tough. That's hard. That may take effort. You're asking me to move six days a week, 40 minutes a day? Like, my movement for years has been walking through airports. I think that's enough. No, go sweat. For 40 minutes a day. 40 minutes a day. Go sweat. And guess what? I took the step. God has honored that movement. My journey is not done. It's not over. I'm off of four of the five. I'm still on a blood pressure medication. My goal is to get off of that. But God has honored the movement. I've done what he told me to do through the doctor. And it literally, you guys, it literally saved my life. So point number three, when we seek God and he tells us what to do, do what he says. Do what he says. Not the third time, the first time. I, tell, I told my kids growing up, and you, you're free to use this because this is genius. So get ready, okay? Delayed obedience is disobedience. 
clean your room in a minute. Nope. Now. Clean your room. Take out the trash. Hold on, Dad. Let me finish this video game level. I'll, I'll take it out and just, nope. Pause. Or I'll hit the reset button. It's my favorite. <laughs> Do what he says. Don't delay. Don't wonder. Don't question. Do what he says. Now, what he says to do might be a little weird. In her case, it was to have her sons go and collect jars. All she had was a little bit of olive oil. That's all she had. And Elisha said, okay, tell your sons to go to the neighbors, collect vessels, collect jars. And what did he say? Not too few. Because Elisha knows what was getting ready to happen. And so she was obedient, and her sons went around and collected vessels. And you know what's crazy? It doesn't talk about the reaction of the neighbors. Like, I think the neighbors might wonder sometimes, like, what in the world is happening right now? Why are these two young men coming and asking us for empty jars? Because I don't think they had time to explain the situation. Hey, do you have empty, any empty vessels in your house? If you do, we need them. They willingly gave them. So we do what he says and he honors that movement. And then what happens? Well, in this case, point number four, what happened was a miracle. Now, do not hear me saying that if you take the next step, like I said earlier, and you walk in obedience, that the miracle is going to be financial. The miracle could come in a myriad of ways. It could come in a, a change in your health. It could come in a change in your, in your job situation. It could come in a change in your family situation. Have you ever sought God for things other than maybe finances or something desperate? Have you sought God for the direction of your, your job life? Maybe the direction of your kids? Like, I am so blessed. I have three kids. Two of them are older, and, and they both love Jesus and are right now, as we speak, serving at our church this morning. My, my daughter is our worship leader, and my son is on the production team. And there's no greater joy than seeing my children serve the Lord. Maybe your children are the farthest thing from serving the Lord. And they need a miracle. Guess what? God can use you. God can use your obedience in praying for them, in seeking Him, in doing what He says, in communicating that God loves them and God wants the best for them and God wants them to win. Maybe God's going to use you to provide that miracle. I love verse 7. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Did God provide just enough because of their obedience? No, God provided more than enough. We serve a more than enough God. And if you don't believe it, try it. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, it's one of the only explicits that God gives us in Scripture 
as it relates to testing him. It says, test me in this. What is this? The tithe. And bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not pour out upon you so much blessing that you can't contain it. I don't know about you, but I want that. But what do we have to do? Oftentimes, we have to take that step and watch God do as it says in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? If you're sitting here going, well, I, you know, I've, I don't know. I've just, I've been in this situation for a long time and haven't been able to get out of it. I don't think you believe that. Because if you believe that, you're going to take the next step, which is what? Seek God. God, what do I do in this situation? He has all the answers. Let me just open the window a little bit into my story. I told you a little bit about my, my health story and I'm still on that journey but my family has a story. So I've been married for 27 years and I've got a 26-year-old married daughter and a son-in-law. I have a 22-year-old recent college graduate son. He has decided that he is going to go to law school. He's going to take his entrance exam October 14th. So pray for Peyton because if he passes that and gets to law school, my retirement will then be named Peyton. So it's fantastic. Fired up. My daughter's a teacher, so if you're a teacher in here, you know that my retirement is not named Sierra, okay? But we wanted to have a third child, and Tammy got pregnant about a year and a half after we had Peyton, and about five months into her pregnancy, she miscarried the baby. Now, that's a late-term miscarriage. It was brutal, brutal to watch her go through that. If, if you're married in here and you went through the, the, the wedding and you heard that the, you will leave and cleave and the two shall become one, you don't really understand what that means until you watch your spouse go through a grief process. Huh. I grieve the loss of a child, but my goodness, watching her go through that was brutal. Brutal. And so time went by. They ran tests, tried to figure out what happened, had no idea. There was no sign of any distress or anything that would have caused her to miscarry, especially that late in the pregnancy. So about two years after that, Tammy got pregnant again. And as you can well imagine, we were a little nervous, so we didn't communicate to a lot of people that she was pregnant until after the first trimester. So she made it past the first trimester again, we started communicating, and almost the same moment, she miscarried again. A little after five months. And at this point, I was angry. Now, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor since I was 20 years old. I'm 48. So you would think that I would just face the situation, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. It's another opportunity to go through the refiner's fire, and we're going to come out on the other side of this better because of it. Wrong. I did what most humans do. I got mad. Like, why are you making my wife go through this again? And I was ready to quit. I had many a conversation with colleagues, with friends, with family members. Said, you know what? I've given my life to this thing called pastoring. 
And I've been faithful to God. And what does he do? He takes two children from us and forces my wife to go. I mean, it was a pity party. We're sitting in our front room one night. And Tammy says to me, she says, I think I know what we need to do. And I'm like, no, this is going to be rich. Because I was bitter. I'm just being honest with you guys. She said, I think we need to lean in. I think we need to serve more. I think we need to give more. I think we need to, to drill deeper with our two children on continuing to raise them in a godly home. I mean, she was talking about things where I'm like, what are you, are you out of your mind? Like, yes, we miscarried, but she went through it. And she's sitting here telling me the steps we need to take are to drive closer to Jesus. So I fought and I disagreed and I did what she said we should do. I learned, guys. And we served more. We were every minute the doors of the church were open, we were there. We gave more. Even when we didn't see clear to give, we, we gave, we tithed. And about a year and a half after that, Tammy got pregnant again. Now, we know how this happens. So don't come up to me afterwards and go, now you know how this happens. Okay? And we were scared to death. Scared to death. And we didn't tell anybody until after five months. Because that was the moment in the previous two. But we had taken those steps of obedience. We had taken those steps of faith. And we continued to do that. They had put Tammy on some medicines that they thought would help kind of accelerate the good things in a pregnancy. And on October 29th, 2013, go ahead and put the picture up. That little girl in the white dress was bored. That's Ava. Ava's our miracle. It's not a financial miracle. She costs me a lot of money. <laughs> but on your right is Peyton. That's my son. He's a looker. Then there's the idiot next to him. That's me. And then my beautiful wife, Tammy. Our incredible daughter, Sierra. And that's Nolan, my son-in-law. And then Ava. She's fantastic. She's nine. She's at church right now, owning everybody. Like she leads everything and everybody. She's just out there and just goes for it. But that's our miracle. And that's what led us to believe that we serve a more than enough God. If we take that step of obedience, God will honor that movement. This widow took the step that didn't make sense. And what did God do? He provided more than enough. Take the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left. What is the next step you need to take in your life to experience God doing what only God can do? Maybe it's to come tonight. Hey, where'd our wits end financially? I can't do it anymore. You know what? Get, do whatever you can to get there tonight. If you haven't signed up yet, it is never too late. Show up. 
Maybe your kids are as far from God as they possibly could be and your next step is to see God. God, what do I do? How can you use me to intervene in that situation? Maybe for you in this place today, you've heard me talk about this person called God who we know as Jesus. And you've never taken the step to accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Place your faith and trust in Him alone for your salvation. I will tell you, I did that on March 31st, 1986. It was the greatest decision I ever made. So if you're sitting here this morning and you've not made the decision to accept Jesus, I will tell you right now, that's your first step. And then watch Him order your steps as you live in obedience with Him. So do me a favor. Everyone in the room, heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to speak directly to the people in the room. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around. I want to speak directly to the people who have yet to make a decision for Jesus. And because that's the most important decision, because that's the foundational moment in a life with Christ, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm just going to ask you, if you're here this morning and you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, to just repeat these words after me. There's nothing magical about these words, but it's simply a declaration of acceptance of His Son Jesus. And just quietly in your heart, between you and God, pray these words. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. I accept you this day as my personal Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you made that decision this morning, I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm just going to ask you where you are this morning to just raise your hand. If you made that decision for Jesus and you accepted him into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand right where you are, really high so we can see it. Father, I'm grateful this morning for the words out of your word that challenge us to take steps that maybe we haven't taken. And Father, I don't know what those steps are for people in this room today, but you do. Give us all the courage to continue taking those steps or to maybe take that step for the first time to seek you, to hear from you, to do what you say and to watch you do what only you can do. God, we love you, and we're grateful for your love for each one of us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.